and I had like this vision where I was like you know the king of this cosmic universe and like I could see all these planets stretched out before me and like an eternity went by and then slowly I felt like I felt, I felt sensation for the first time in who knows how long. It was like this buzzing sensation around this area. And suddenly I snapped back to reality. My friend was just slapping me as hard as he could <laughs> because I just like went down for like 30 seconds Dang. and I was going to die. So anyway, um, Dungeons and Dragons. Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Well, my sweet, sweet podcast family, I am thrilled, thrilled, Daniel, to announce that finally, after three seasons, this is the fourth season, I finally was able to talk the one and only Dan Bellum to come on to the podcast. Daniel Bellum, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and, and for, um, uh, I wouldn't say coercing, but... Coercing. Being... being, being um, very determined pleasantly insistent <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> okay now anybody who who knows you knows it's there's a grab bag of great stories um that's what i've been told that's that's what everyone says now many of the podcast listeners will not know you so all this will be fun and fresh uh for many of those folks i want to start not with your birth not with your origin story i want to mm-hmm. start in a little bit of a different place I want to ask this question just to start us off. I want to say, tell us about the time that you met L. Ron Hubbard. The Scientology guy? Yes. I think L. Ron Hubbard died when I was a kid um, <laughs> after stealing one of his boats um, that you know allegedly was used for trafficking children. But hey. um, so, no. Uh, it has to do with my sister who went to Eastern New Mexico University. And um, a lot of sci-fi authors uh, either come from or move to New Mexico. And that included in the small town of uh, Portales in West New Mexico, um, the late, great Jack Williamson, who uh, was a really well-known sci-fi author. Um, In his day, I think he wrote the novelization of the original Star Wars movie. Let's go. and he lived in the town, and he taught a class on science fiction every year at the university. So she took the class, and it was an awesome class. Jack Williamson held the class in his house, and one of these days, they're in, they're in there, um, in his house, talking about science fiction. And Scientology came up, and L. Ron Hubbard came up. And Jack Williamson said, oh, yeah, I remember the party <laughs> where L. Ron Hubbard told all of us that we were suckers for writing science fiction and all the real money is in starting your own religion. <laughs> he did say that to my sister who then told it to me. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you weren't there. You didn't meet him I, I never met him. Unfortunately, I really wanted to meet him. What do you think of Scientology? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's awesome and true, David. I think that, um, you know, 
<laughs> millions of years ago, yeah. uh, aliens came to Earth uh-huh. on like modified DC, uh, what, 710 airplanes, <laughs> I think. And um, they had slaves and um, alien slaves, and yeah. they killed all those alien slaves in volcanoes. Right. And um, then human beings existed, mm-hmm. and the alien slave spirits inhabit our bodies and like whether or not you're happy (laughs) and successful in life has to do with the extent to which you are aligned with the thetan alien spirit of these losers who like died in a volcano okay and the only way to really get those things aligned is you start off with like maybe like 10 grand and you just sort of like pay people to align them <laughs> now i mean like scientology i'd like it's I incredible know. yeah it's 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 okay awesome. but no I met, I met i met a kid one time a really really nice kid i was like probably in my 20s he was like probably 18 we were taking spanish together in mexico yeah like i don't know his mom was in scientology and he was like just very sweet and earnest um and he like kept on trying to tell us that like Scientology was real because L. Ron Hubbard like looked at all the world's religions and like, you know, discovered like the true path. And, um, he showed us like the sort of like Scientology version of like Bible school picture books, (laughs) just just had like a bunch of like drawings of like most of the periods of history, but everybody was Just like a, looked like a white guy from like a Norman Rockwell painting. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Great. So like now I'm gonna get a Scientologist fatwa on you. me. That's yeah. What they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If if they don't listen to anything else, they heard that. Yeah. That's yeah. What, no, that's great. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm glad glad to be on their radar. Now they can now they can harass me for the rest of my life. Thanks, David. This Let's is great. <laughs> I'm really glad you talked me into yeah, this. Yeah. For years he didn't want to come on. I don't know why. The biggest okay. the biggest thing that I yeah. the, not the biggest thing. I think yeah. that the fact that like. Um, you know, apparently they've like, <laughs> this is not funny at all. They've like denied medical uh, services to their members because they're afraid that like they'll talk to a psychologist and then people have died as a result of that is worse than what I'm about to say. Wow. But I like Isaac Hayes, Isaac Hayes, the, the singer, <laughs> Yeah. he composed and sang the theme to Shaft, one of the greatest theme songs of all time. Like nine minute intro, and then like a series of rhetorical questions. The answer to which is Shaft. I love I love Isaac Hayes, and like I feel like Scientology just like infected his brain, and that sucks. So that's why anyway. he, that, that's why you don't like Scientology. No, it's not the only reason why uh, it's on the list, though. It, I, I'd say that like that is one of the you know first things that like impacted me personally. <laughs> Okay, now, speaking of you personally, okay. I mean, I guess the main reason <laughs> not in Scientology is because, like, like if I was a very successful secretly gay actor <laughs> and I needed someone to blackmail me. <laughs> Can we cut that? All right. Go ahead. Okay. All right, now, look. You, and I don't want to say where you work, Um Right. Okay, I know you because you've been. Cause I don't want to give around. any details of my life because you're around. Um, okay, but you did not grow up here. 
No, I did not. And places matter, okay? Yeah, they do. And you mentioned New Mexico. It's true. And, uh, and so maybe you could paint us a picture of a young Daniel Bellum growing up whence and where. Where, where did you start your life? Where, where did well, you and how, how did, give me a story about, about young Daniel Bellum. This is, are you talking about baby? No. <laughs> or do you know I, your, what's I your was not, memory? I was not born. Well, I remember remembering yeah. being a baby or a small <laughs> child in Germany. What? Dude, I was born in Germany. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in New Mexico. I lived in New Mexico for like most of my life. Okay. Um, I remember remembering being a child in Germany. Why were you in Germany? Ask my parents. Man. Why were your parents in Germany? Well, my dad got a postdoc. Ah. Uh, at my dad is a um, he's a scientist. He has a PhD in physics, and um, he had a postdoc in uh, in Germany off and on for like several years. So like I was born there, and then they moved, and then he went back for six months after my sister was born. Uh, that's what brought us to New Mexico. He had he was a like an assistant professor at the University of New Mexico for like uh, okay. five years, and then he went into industry, and we just stayed. We're somewhere in Germany. I don't know what station in Germany, but a underground train station, and um, there are these just like dizzyingly steep and long escalators that go to all these different levels of tracks. I'm three, okay, and. My parents, I think, are with some people. They're kind of on one of the higher levels, and I just bounce. Gone. You take off. Thousands of people. Wow. Lost in the crowd. Little guy. Just gone. My parents freak out. They don't know where I went. Um, I had gotten on one of the largest escalators and ridden it all the way down to the bottom. But I was saved. And I remember this, or I think I remember this. A guy found me. And he knew that I was not supposed to be on that escalator. And he got right back on the up escalator, rode up with me, and returned me to my panicking parents. Wow. Do you know what I remember about that guy? Tell me. He was really tall. He had super long hair. And when I was blonde hair, and when I was um, a little bit older, I saw a movie called Adventures in Babysitting. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> no. You haven't seen Adventures no. in Babysitting? I know the title, but I've never seen it. Okay, in Adventures in Babysitting, they meet this gruff guy who works at a uh, auto body shop. And the little girl is obsessed with Marvel Comics Thor. And this Ooh. dude looks exactly like Marvel Comics Thor. And when I saw that movie, I was like, that's not the guy, but that is exactly what I remember the guy looking like. And wow. I was like, dude, Thor saved my life. Wow. Yeah. Thor saved your life. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it was an here's, angel. Here's some, I mean, he might've been an angel. I don't, I don't know how like yeah. cosmogonies work. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, cosmologies. Um, I was about to say something that probably get me in real trouble about the afterlife, but I'm going to skip it. Uh Oh, um, so that's one thing. I got saved by Thor. Saved by uh, Thor in Germany off yeah, of the I, world's greatest escalator. World's greatest escalator. I took a gainer off of a bank counter onto a marble floor head first. Ooh. Um, 
I blame my mom for that for a long time, but yeah. she told me that, you know, I was fine. And then I just decided to roll off, which is probably accurate. This is um, in Germany. This is in Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the biggest thing that I remember about Germany is going to kindergarten, which isn't like five-year-olds. It's like younger. It's like more like our preschool. Okay. And I couldn't speak German, right? I was like very obstinate. I like refused to learn German, which is, I mean, like, I feel like is more than fair because like I had no path to German citizenship, even right. though I was born on German soil. Huh. Um, at the time, in order to be a German citizen, I believe your father had to be a German citizen. They didn't want like babies whose mother was German, but father was Turkish, right? They wanted like the two Americans like a clean. It's a non-starter, bloodline. right? It's a non-starter. They wanted the like clean, a pure... but, yes, patrilineal <laughs> clean bloodlines. I'm sure they've changed. No the problems with that. Yeah, no. So I'm out. So yeah. I didn't learn. I didn't learn German. I learned like a couple of words. They didn't want you. You didn't want them. Right. Yeah. But um, when I was in kindergarten, there was only um, one other kid who didn't speak English, whose name was Fatih who my parents swear up and down was a Turkish kid. But in my mind, I don't know how, I just decided or that he was Japanese. Like, wow. So I was like, he's my first friend. Yeah. We bonded over our shared lack of knowing German. He right. did not know English, <laughs> right? We couldn't communicate with each other yeah. in, a, in, a, in a, like a meaningful way. Anyway, he's my arch nemesis because... Uh, I had a special Brio train that I would play with every single day. I remember these. Even though I couldn't... That's a, uh, that's a finely made train. It is an excellent yeah. wooden train. Yes. And I loved it. It was like the highlight of my day. Yeah. Uh, even though I had no way of verbally communicating with any of the other kids at this place, I feel like it was known yeah. that it, that was my train. Especially right? your I best put friend. It, I put it in my... Especially my best friend, Fonte. <laughs> and he stole my train. Whoa. He stole my train... Uh, I've never forgotten about it. Um, I, I'd like to find him someday, whether wow. in Japan or Turkey. Wow. Right? You know, probably I, not Japan. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Who knows? So you end up back and forth a little bit in your youth, but mostly. Mostly Albuquerque. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yes. Everybody thinks Breaking Bad, meth, sure. yes. Dan Bellum. Yes. Okay. But you told me Breaking Bad was supposed to be filmed in Riverside. Yeah. Breaking Bad was supposed to be filmed in River Riverside, but like New Mexico has been trying, but it's, I guess because of like tax breaks and stuff, New Mexico was tr has been trying to get the film industry. Come over. Do they, are they happy about that move now? Yeah. Well, okay. Are but now everyone they thinks. They love it and it worked great. Like Everyone half of thinks the, New Mexico, like, New Meth, New Methico. Well, but, <laughs> but David, like, it's not wrong. No like, money's, no money. Uh, like, bad money's as good as good money. Uh, Breaking Bad yeah. is an incredible tourist draw for Albuquerque. Okay. Like, I, I meet people now in California who, like, kind of live in this area, and they're just like, oh, yeah, Santa Fe is awesome. But, like, everybody, a bunch of people all over the world know about Breaking Bad. And so, like, if you go to New Mexico now, there's, like, Breaking Bad tours. There's, like, uh, you can buy, like, blue, blue crystal donuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, no. Like, we don't care. <laughs> okay, but it's supposed mean, it's, to be... I mean, is it, is it really bad advertising for New Mexico? <laughs> like, one of the poorest states in the union? It's basically a documentary have, anyway. It's not... Yeah, I mean... He was, like, making the best meth. The best. <laughs> you know what if I mean? you're going to make it 
be known for the best. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, I, I don't think that it has been a deterrent more than any other like factor about New Mexico. Okay. Um, I, I, there is a lot of drug use in New Mexico. Uh, it's a real problem. There's a lot of poverty in New Mexico. Um, New Mexico has its problems like everywhere else. It's an amazing place. Did I you loved grow it. up? I, you love it. You I love, love it. it now a lot. When I was growing up there, I actually liked it. But I, I and like everybody else that I knew is like Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah. Like if there's a bright, shining center to the universe, you're in the point farthest from it. Right. That's what I felt like. I felt like everywhere else was better. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends or people I knew also felt that way. And it's like, you know, to like really get your life started, you need to move to like... <laughs> I feel like the stereotype is, is like, I'm going to move to New York City. I'm going to move to Los Angeles. Like in New Mexico, it's just like, I'm going to get to Phoenix someday, dog. Like, <laughs> a bunch of my friends were like, yeah. All my friends are going to Phoenix. I'm going to move to Denver. So, yeah, no. So um, that, that was that, the way I felt about it was like, okay, my, uh, it's basically normal and kind of boring. Yeah. And uh, ev there's other places where there's more interesting things happen happening, but I didn't like think it was bad, yeah. right? I and I was wrong on every count. It's not normal, yeah. and it is not boring. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> man, I live in Orange County. Yeah, the it's traffic. That's the only interesting thing around right. here, right? right. Like, um, uh, mean streets of, of New Mexico, growing up rough. No, no. Parents, academics. No, no. So this is the thing. No, this is the thing. I would say um, when I was growing up, I was a huge nerd. I was relatively cautious. Like mm. I wanted to avoid bodily harm to the extent that like my own sense of like manly virtue allowed, which was not 100%, <laughs> right? And I went to, I lived in, I was, mm, I lived in, um, kind of one of the upper class neighborhoods, the upper class areas, mm -hmm. and I went to the preppy public high school. Okay, okay, the academically higher achieving preppy public high school, and uh, I mean, but for Albuquerque, New Mexico in the nineties. Right. So what that means is that, like, <laughs> like I don't know. I just I just remember sneaking out of my house when I was younger and like running through the Arroyos and stuff. And then like we, we like hid cause we ran into these other kids who had snuck out of their house. I was probably like 14 or something like that. And they were just like, yeah, there's like a dude going through the Arroyos with a trench coat and a sawed off shotgun. We were they like, we we're like, Oh, there's a shotgun guy. Better nope. head home. Let's go. Yeah. No. So like, I mean uh, the, the, the sort of like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, Nice, safe, upper class for New Mexico was still pretty most people's crazy. like apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, it's just like, like I just remember like the first time I saw a gunshot victim, I was like eight, and it was just in the grocery store by my house. Some <laughs> dude just got shot in the head with a twenty-two for oh no reason. Oh my gosh! And so I like walked in there with my little sister, and there was like a dude in a pool of blood about the size of this rug just holding his hands and there's all these people standing around. And I was like, Oh, she can't see this. So I dragged my sister inside 
and uh, I went to the comic book rack, which is what I intended to do, and really scared my mom because she didn't know where I was. So that uh, like, and I mean, there's there's other stuff like that. I thought that was normal. I thought it's like, ah, oh, people get shot sometimes. People you get know? shot. Like in the uh, people store. get shot sometimes. Sometimes you see a body in the road. You know what I mean? Sometimes your friend goes to jail. Like that's just like that's just the way it is. Mm. That's the way it is everywhere. Um, I think most people who grew up in New Mexico in that time, just like a little bit of a a, a broader sort of like ability to to deal with things that I that are kind of out of the ordinary, mm. right? I mean, I just remember like I think because I have a good uh, imagination, and um, I've always like sort of thought through the implications of things. Like I think I was about like in middle school when I was like. I really need to figure out, like, if I just get murdered, how am I going to go out? And mm. I wasn't doing anything that I thought would get me murdered. I just thought, like, hey, it's on the table. This is possible. And so, like, yeah, no, so, like, I, uh, uh, do you ever see the movie Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai? Wow. Awesome movie. It's about a guy who um, definitely earns its R, okay? So it's about a, a guy, like, a street gangster who somehow gets his life saved by like a mafia don a black kid gets his life saved by uh like an italian mafia don so the what he does with that is he reads this book called hakagure the book of the fallen leaves which is like a samurai manual and he becomes like a he becomes a samurai in the service of this guy he considers this mob boss his daimyo and like the mob boss doesn't even really understand why this guy keeps on like protecting him and showing up and stuff like that Anyway, I read that book and I was just like, it's it, a lot of it is just like, you, you got to meditate on dying so that like, basically you don't go out like a punk. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> you have to be ready to die for like your, your liege Lord. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to Right. Happen. So just like meditate on different ways you could die. So like, if that happens, you're not going to just like, you know, quail and like back down. Like right. That's yeah. So I don't know. I thought that was like a normal that thought a process normal thing, to be yeah. having as like a 14 or 15 year old. Right. Uh, you know? And so that like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this fear of death thing under control. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I didn't, I really, uh, I was afraid of getting in trouble. Like I, I didn't want to get in trouble from my parents and, um, and, and to a certain extent, like I was raised Christian. I didn't want to do the wrong thing. Mm. I came to the realization that fear was preventing me from doing like illegal and dangerous things more than some kind of like a positive um, desire to do the right thing um, when I was like 17 or 18. So I would like stay out of it, but um, I was always like one degree. I would, I mean, I would like, I had friends and stuff. So I was like one degree away from, some really crazy, crazy situations like. But you, so you grow up Christian mm -hmm. in this place, mm -hmm. this sort of strange, apocalyptic, sort of. <laughs> I mean, from from the point of view of Orange County, it's okay, like definitely okay. post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I still feel like it's not. It's not that weird. It's not, I was just. It's just like there is more random violence there than in other places, especially in the past. I, I mean, I figured out like a lot of the, a lot of the bad stuff that was happening to people had to do with owing drug dealers money. Mm. Don't, don't breaking bad. Yeah, no. And it's not like, it's not like, Oh, this is a moral thing. Don't do drugs because it's wrong. It's like, no, don't give a drug dealer a reason to be interested in you. Mm. Um, 
obviously there's a moral component too, but like, um, yeah. So yeah. I, anyway, sorry. You but were, you grow up as this, this, as you describe it, like comic book nerd. Yes. Okay. A church going comic book. nerd. Church going. Absolutely. Yeah. Church going. Absolutely. You have siblings. You said a sister. I have two sisters. Two sisters. Yeah, yeah. Um, Parents, academic-y people? Yeah, I mean, s- somewhat. Uh, my, yeah, I mean, my dad, for sure, he's got a PhD, and my mom has a bachelor's degree, but she's very, very well-educated. Um, and You were a social kid? No. I, I, you know, I could be social in a fairly disinterested way, like I enjoyed it when it was like presented to me, I, our, our, my family was part of like this group of families that just hung out and did everything together. Um, so some of those people that I grew up with, they're really, they're really like cousins or something like that. And I always, I always loved hanging out with people, you know? Um, and you know, if, if I felt like relatively like safe or, or, or whatever, um, which was most of the time with most of the people I hung out with. Um, but I have to say that when I was young, I could kind of take it or leave it. I distinctly remember being young. My parents are, are very social, right? They like having like big parties. Um, always knew a lot of people. Sometimes, sometimes it would be university people. Sometimes it would be church people. Um, but when I was young, I would like go enjoy the party that my parents were having. And then, you know, nine o'clock would roll around or whatever. And I'd be like, okay. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to my room, shut the door. I'm going to be on my own for, you know, the rest of the night. I'm mm. going to read. I'm going to do, I'm going to sort of just live inside my own mind. Yeah. And that, that's really, that's really like my sort of natural state. And I think that I, um, I think that, I think that God like intervened in that. Um, I had a really rough time in high school and I mean, I spent most of my life um, blaming other people. And, and I think that that's not wrong. Like a lot of things kind of sucked about my high school experience and, and that did have to do with other people. But I, I mean, I got like a little bit of a reality check several years ago. Um, a friend of mine from elementary school and middle school and a little bit of high school and afterwards died, unfortunately. Um, and I happened to be in Albuquerque uh, and I happened to talk to a friend, a mutual friend who I still keep up with. And she said, hey, I'm going to go to the funeral. Do you want to come? I said, sure. Like, the guy actually really meant a lot to me, even though we weren't super close when we were older, um, through circumstance, not because of any kind of falling out. But I went to that funeral, and there were a ton of people from my high school there. And a couple of them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember that guy. Probably like five or ten people came up to me and were just like, oh, hey, how's it going? I remember you. And like, David, I couldn't have picked them out of a lineup. Mm. Uh, they were strangers. Mm. And I mean, that helped me realize that like I had some serious antisocial tendencies, right? I was like sort of like really focused on myself. It was shocking to me that there were people who knew who I was uh, in my high school of like over 2,000 people. I really, uh, I think, had serious introverted tendencies. I could basically take or leave people. I could enjoy interacting with people, but I didn't need it. Did that make high school miserable? Like, what what was so no difficult no? About I high mean, what, what what made no? I mean, you're a high school teacher. It's it's the height of irony. Like, I, I you are going to be hard pressed <laughs> yeah. to find somebody who hated and disparaged like the institution of high school in this country as much as I did 
while I was a high school student and for many, many years afterwards. I there's still a part of me that considers it a necessary evil to be totally honest with you. Like uh so like um what made it what made that particular situation uh bad for me was that I wasn't able to be left alone, mm-hmm. right? Um there was enough sort of uh uh you know, pain degradation and of and hierarchy in place among the student body that like some of that flowed downhill from like the actual like popular people to other nerds who were just like older than I was. And then that had to go somewhere. And so it, when I was 14, it went towards me and my um, little nerdy friends I hung out with. Mm. I actually dropped out of high school. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So I dropped out of high school when I was 14. So I went to... Because it was so miserable. Other things were happening. Yeah. Your folks were like, fine. Yes. Yeah. No, they... J- I give my parents a lot of credit. I mm. was not easy to deal with. They're amazing. I, I spent a long time thinking that like I had a real problem with my parents. But then I hit a point in my life where I talked to other people who were like, I don't get along with my parents. And I was like, oh, that's a different thing. That's a different that you're, thing. Yeah, I, I'm the... I kind of just had a chip on my shoulder about my parents in the way that like little kids think they don't like broccoli. Like broccoli's good. Like <laughs> broccoli's really good. Like I make a mean broccoli salad. What happened my freshman year is there were extraneous things going on. My dad had just sort of like lost his job in a in a higher paying industry and was like figuring out other stuff to do. Okay. That like probably put pressure on me that I didn't fully understand. A couple of weeks into the beginning of my high school career, one of my really close friends went to a different high school with like where kids had real problems as opposed to my high school where, where kids had like self-imposed. They, they had real problems, right? But it was, it was definitely like first world problems. So anyway, he had been making inroads with like, um, I don't know, people who were like affiliated with like some gang activity at that school. And he and two of his buddies um, broke into a cop's house who they had a vendetta with and stole all his guns. And so he got arrested the next day um, and thrown in jail. And I was like 14 and I was kind of that really, that really impacted me. It made me like, feel like there was a lack of stability in in my life or whatever and so that that may have set me off kilter at the beginning god was amazingly good to him in that situation too like he he only actually had to be in juvie for like two days and um then he he did like a bunch of community service Uh, he he got like a top defense attorney uh who was doing pro bono work which is great uh he would have been way worse off if he had been institutionalized for longer i think so that happened. And then I started dealing with a, a, a number of different things. First of all, like the general value system of the school that I went to didn't align with mine at all. Uh, there was, I mean, there was a lot of people there who were like just nakedly racist, okay, kids who went to that school. Um, but even, even more pervasive was this sort of just like attitude about like, uh, wealth and privilege that I found really distasteful and also didn't apply to me. And then, um, people just were not particularly nice. They were very invested in like a, uh, you know, 
80s movie style like uh, hierarchy. And I didn't fit in anywhere, frankly, in that hierarchy. I wasn't even like musically talented. I couldn't even like find refuge with the band nerds, you know what I mean? Which is like what a lot of the kids that I knew from church, my friends uh, were doing. So I, I felt like really, really alienated. And, um, and I, and there were a couple of kids in particular that, um, just kind of like targeted me and my, my friends. And it's not like we just took that abuse. Um, we definitely like fought back, but it just got tiring after a while. Mm. Like, um, freshman year, freshman year. I distinctly remember putting a large apple in a paper sack and just the only like, moment of athletic <laughs> prowess in my life. And it's exactly when I would have wanted it. I just like <laughs> baseball pitch, just nailed this kid in the back of the head as he was walking down an abandoned hall. <laughs> he stumbled and got mad. So anyway, it kind of culminated and I didn't really get along with my teachers either. A lot of them had really like kind of horrible attitudes. Like I somehow got put into uh, an honors math class and I just distinctly remember the teacher had to teach honors algebra and then also had to teach like the, the more developmentally slower algebra. And she just would talk trash about her other students to us, the mm. good students. Mm. I just, I couldn't like, I thought that was horrible. And so I don't know, all of these things kind of like built up and around the end of my first semester, my freshman year, the situation I was having with these particular kids, and there was a bunch of other like sort of stuff that happened too, kind of came to a head and they were basic. And this one kid was like, look, let's settle this. You and me let's meet behind the Walmart and have a fight. And I was like, fine, we can do that. But I knew he's like, come alone. And I was like, I will. <laughs> but I knew that he wasn't going to come alone. Right. He was going to be waiting there with three guys. It was a lose, lose situation. And I spent the better part of the week just trying to like figure to, to decide what I want to do. Did I want to, how, how, how did I want to like punk out? Did I want to just go and like get the crap kicked out of me behind a Walmart? Um, did I want to show up with, you know, try to find some friends and then hear about that for the rest of my high school career. Right. Um, did I want to like no show hear about that for the rest of my high school mm. career? And my parents could tell that I was just like beside myself. Like I really just, I was like, uh, it's like ginning up. Like I was trying to gin up the courage to just go like get curb stomp behind a Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, they finally asked me what was going on. And I was like, yeah, like I've got this sit, I've, I have to figure out if I'm going to go fight this guy. And, um, so once they, once, I sort of started talking to them about it. They were like, what do you want us, what do you want us to do? What do you want to do? Do you want us to go talk to the school? It's like, no, don't go talk to the school. That'll make my life a living hell. Right. Right. Um, but I had a friend who did homeschool correspondence and, uh, through this, like he literally, you mail in the tests. And, um, I said, I want to do what he's doing. Like, get me out of here. I was like, I haven't learned Jack. Mm. Been here for six months. Mm. I think they could have taught me everything that they taught me in about three weeks. Just put me on that track. Um, and my parents did it. And I, that was really sacrificial of them to do it. They did not have a lot of money at the time. They paid for me to um, 
do this correspondence school. I was my my high school language was Japanese, and every day I would take a bus and I would spend like three hours doing Japanese to like five. And I loved that class. That was like the antithesis of I got C's and D's. I was not a good student, but it was like the antithesis to like what I was experiencing at my school. Kids would give me crap in that class, but it was like one kid from every high school in the city. It was much more diverse. They were interested in a lot of the same things that I was there. They were, you know, they would snipe at each other with like all kinds of like jokes and comments, but I could tell they were basically good natured. And so I stayed in that class and that was, that was great for my socialization. Um, and my parents let me drop out and do the correspondence course. Now, the other side of this is that, um, I'm probably one of the laziest people on the face of the planet. I've sort of like rolled that into a, uh, something that's sustainable, right? Because I don't, I'm, 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 I'm all about avoiding like, you know, catastrophic pitfalls, but, um, my mom, it was like the year after all the moms started working, um, and my, so my mom worked, my sisters would go to school. My dad would go to work and I would like, I, we didn't have a TV. I was raised without a TV. Uh, the internet hadn't really hit its stride. So I woke up and for like about a year and a half, I would just listen to like <laughs> a rock shock jock morning show in my underwear till about noon every day. And then I maybe sort of like meander towards like my textbook, <laughs> knock out like an English paper yeah. or whatever, send it in. So long story short, um, rolling into the end of my sophomore year, what should have been my sophomore year, I had essentially finished a freshman year and change. So that was also not working because of me, right? right? Because I'm... <laughs> I'm lazy, it's like left you. to my own devices. Yeah. I will let it slide. Yeah. Right. Like, and so my parents were like, they were not like being super hard on me. I think they were really worried about me. I was clearly going through like a crisis, but they were like, uh, this doesn't seem like it's working. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I think I need to go back to high school so I can finish it. Cause I'd like, I think I'd like to go to college. I'd like to do other stuff. And they said, well, do you want to go to this other high school? And I was like, no, I've thought about it a lot. And the high school itself is the problem. It's like a fundamentally, you know, <laughs> degrading and stupid experience. So it doesn't really matter where I go. Right. right. I might as well go to the one that's closer, which is the one that I had dropped out of. So I went back there as a junior taking some freshman classes. And um, I mean, I certainly had my ups and downs from that point, but... Um, Things were a lot better for me. Now, was that guy still looking for you? I think that guy avoided He's me, David, still... because the difference between me at 14 and, me, the uh, and me at 16 is, is that, okay. like, I think I was like a purple belt in martial arts oh. and I was around six feet tall and like 180 pounds. <laughs> okay. So, I, and, and my so mind, yeah. yeah, and I, even more than that, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to let that situation happen again. Mm. So my, this might sound somewhat frightening. My mindset was definitely in a ride or die place. And if you just are walking through a hall and you're like a large man 
and with no pretense, you're just ready to get the crap kicked out of you and make someone feel pain. In order to pay for that, people just kind of get out of your way. (laughs) Like, I mean, people just sort of like seem to move away from me. And this is when it's like, this is why I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, I had serious antisocial tendencies. Like I remember, (laughs) I remember walking through the hall and this kid, this nerdy kid was getting picked on and like got in a fight and like the, all the kids were crowding around and the teachers ran in to break it up. And the kid was yelling like, just kill me. I don't care if I die. Wow. And I was like, oh, I know exactly how that feels. Hmm. Like, because your world shrinks. Like when I was in high school, I don't know, for whatever reason, I think it probably is just like brain development and then like uh, social structures. Your world shrinks to that high school and you can't see the end of it. Every day feels like a million years. And when I went back, I was just like, eh, you know, if I, if, if, if I got to lose some teeth, whatever, I'm just not going to take it anymore. Hmm. Like I will make them feel it. They will beat me, but it will suck for them. Yeah. Uh, and I was just radiating like, like that kind of like violent energy. And most people stayed out of my way most of the time. Um, I did not see that dude again. Uh, that that dude's height <laughs> he's still peaked he's, uh, when he was a sophomore. And still behind the Walmart somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he's waiting for me behind the Walmart. It was a. It was you know believe it or not. Uh, punking out of going to go get beat up behind a uh, Walmart was was not like the end of my life, you know. Like, did um, you do martial arts because of this? This sort I of had sta- no no teenage no. nightmare. I always thought it was awesome, yeah. and I started when I was young. And was it a comic I, book like world? Yeah, thing? Like, like it was. I don't know if you're a little bit younger than me, but like ninjas and Chuck Norris were like the yeah, thing for yeah, a while, yeah, yeah. like Mr. T. And I thought all that stuff was awesome, and I really there was like. It was there was like Ninja Turtles were out, and there was like a big sort Favorite of favorite like, turtle. Oh, tough. I mean, I, uh, I'm I like I love all of them. Um, I'm gonna go with Leonardo. Oh, you know, too, I'm gonna go too. with Leonardo. <laughs> uh, I, 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 it probably should be any of the other ones. Honestly, Raphael. I think I, yeah, uh, Raphael's I the Raphael obvious vibes. pick. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but I mean I I identify with Donatello and Michelangelo to a certain extent. When yeah. I was a kid, it was definitely everybody loved Michelangelo yeah, and yeah, Raphael yeah. kind of took over. But Leonardo, like I don't know, he's like uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a basic. Uh, but he's just like he's a good guy. He yeah. wants to Solid. keep things together. I mean Splinter Steady. really like yeah. yeah. Um, you survived high school. I survived high school. I uh, uh, to answer your other question, I had already started taking martial arts, oh, right. but. But I wasn't like super confident in it. Um, I was more later on as I got bigger and I like, you know, left the kids class or whatever. Um, I mean, I got in, you know, I got in a couple of fights or whatever. I, I mean, I knew like one thing that martial arts did is like it uh, uh, reinforced the fact that like mm, fighting physically just sucks. Even if you win, it is terrible. Like um, what about the church and all this? You're you're going to church through all this you the entire time. Group? Like I mean, I think just two different worlds. I know it is two different worlds, but I don't like to think about where I would have wound up if I didn't have like, um, you know, a youth group yeah. to go to where I just didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. Right. Uh, I more than needed to happen. I like put some distance between myself and the kids from church that went to my school and part of, part of the issue is is that the kids my age in church all went to different schools uh in my exact grade and so there were like girls that i knew who were younger than me 
and then guys who I knew who were older than me, but I was kind of like on my own. But I, they, they, most of the people I knew from my church got there after my freshman year. And so, that, I, yeah, no, I, my social life in that respect was better too. There was, you know, I had friends from church at that school um, and that helped. But like, I, I mean, I don't want to get too dark on you, but like when Columbine happened, I was 16. Mm. And my first thought was like, oh yeah, I get it. Like, I'm, it's bad. Mm. I understand why someone would do this. I'm surprised somebody hasn't done it at my school. Like mm. that school was a lot like, that school where it happened was a lot like the school I went to. It's an upper middle class, like kind of a school that like really focuses, like apparently like really revolves around like some of these social distinctions that like are, are created within that, uh, within its body. Um, I thought I could understand why somebody would feel like this is the only way out, right? Mm -hmm. I there's no there's no hope for my life to continue um, in a, in a meaningful or um, fulfilling way. And for some people, their thoughts are going to turn to suicide, mm -hmm. and for other people, their thoughts are going to turn towards removing what seems to be the problem, which is other humans, mm -hmm. right? And um, I mean, I thank God that I wasn't there anymore but i i could have i mean i knew i knew people who you know fit that profile i could have in some ways fit that profile you have like you think crazy thoughts when you're young it's just like oh, these people suck i wish they were all gone mm. right the lord in that season is yes. is he real is is it church is it youth group yeah is it you knowing the Lord, would you say? Or, or is it like, okay, this is a, a haven of a sorts. You can finally just not be on edge about everything all around you. Um, would you say you had a genuine relationship with the Lord? I that would, was yeah. Independent? No, the... Of... Yeah, God was definitely in that season. Yeah. But a couple of things were going on. A, church was for sure a haven. I believed in God, but... I feel like there was a disconnect at a couple of different levels. A, I was pretty miserable, right? A lot of the time. Um, and B, I was I didn't consider myself, it's the whole Christian guilt thing, right? I considered myself a pretty bad person uh, for like things that I had thought and said, things that I would have done if I wasn't too scared, right? Um, so I don't know if I felt like I had bad stuff coming to me because of that, or I was just, grappling with what the the reality of the fact that like even if you believe in god and you know that god has done good things in your life we all have bad things happen to us and we all eventually are going to die so like maybe it's a lack of faith that makes uh like let's say emotional suffering feel real mm. but you're still feeling it and also, I don't think it's just a lack of faith right now. So I was, I was sort of like, yeah, you know, like, I mean, I don't know if I thought that what was happening to me at, with my school life, academic life, and social life wasn't God's problem, but I didn't seem like God was going to, like, intervene in, like, a, a shocking way, even though I think he did intervene in a lot of ways. Like, I could see it really clearly with my friend who was doing much more dangerous stuff than me. I'm not going to pretend that I 
wasn't breaking laws. I was breaking laws on a daily, uh, weekly, if not daily basis. But like my bent in that direction has always been more of like, uh, let's have some shenanigans. Let's have a fun time. Not like, you know, I, I never, I never really, I mean, I, the way I felt was really, really bad, but I never, uh, this is one of the reasons I believe what research says about like drug addiction that like it primarily, you know, the roots of it lie in self-medication in the absence of some kind of like uh, supportive social uh, uh, framework. Right. I had my family and I had church. I didn't, I didn't like lean really hard into disassociative behavior. Um, I had some disassociative thoughts. So, but at the exact same time that all this stuff is going on, right? Um, I'm I'm coming to a, a a new and much more mature level in my Christian faith, even though I'm still not a mature person, right? And the and the the thing that turned the corner for me, um, well, I was raised by Christian parents. I like prayed the sinner's prayer at like a backyard Bible club when I was five. I wanted. Jesus to come live in my brain. Let's go. <laughs> your brain. <laughs> my brain. Not your heart. No. No. Uh, I wasn't that attentive of a student. I assumed <laughs> that like the 13-year-olds who were teaching it had, you know, <laughs> you, said the right you words. You said the sinner's prayer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, for sure I did. Yeah. And so, um, and then, um, so at that point I was like, I kind of had an awareness of like being a Christian. And, and then like uh, when I was like maybe eight or nine, um, I started to like, uh, as, as my sister apparently did to develop a grudge, um, based around the fact that like, I wasn't getting any of that, you know, tasty bread on communion Sunday. Oh. Um, and so I was like, I want to, I want some of that bread. And, the bread. And my parents like took me out of the service and were like, look, this isn't just some bread. Like, this is what this means. <laughs> Do you believe all of this stuff? And I was like, yeah, I believe all of that stuff. And I, as far as I, you know, know, yeah, uh, um, man, in those, in those pre, pre tasteless wafer days, you know, <laughs> you just grab a hunk of bread. Um, so, but the real turning point for me, uh, and I do believe that this is God intervening. My mom was really, um, involved in, uh, the youth group. And was looking for, she was a youth leader and um, she was looking for opportunities for like the youth group to do like ministry instead of just be sort of the focus of the program. And one of our sister churches had been participating in short-term missions uh, in El Paso near the border. And my mom was like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to do this. Was a leader on the trip. Both of my little sisters were going and my dad had lost his job. And so he was going too. And when that happened, my mom did something that she wouldn't do for most, most team members. She told me I had to go, mm. right? Uh, generally, you got to like decide you want to go and, and like go through this training and stuff. And I was kind of mad about it. I didn't really want to do it. Um, it changed my life. Like um, the idea that like a lot of like really important concepts became tangible to me mm. on that trip. Like, so one is like, one obvious thing is, is that like I, for a variety of reasons, probably some of them, just my personality, some of them, my 
parents and the fact that they moved all over the place and I wasn't born in this country, never felt totally comfortable just sort of fitting into mainline American um, culture or society, even the version of it that exists in New Mexico where, you know, but I, but I always have liked cross-cultural encounters. It's kind of expanding my view of like what it means to be a person in the world. And so I got a lot of that on that trip. But the even bigger thing was like understanding that like God could use me to achieve something, right? And that I, I had an obligation and that there's people in the world who needed things, even mm. from a kid like me. Um, and this is a really big one. The realization that I could choose to submit my will to someone else's authority. That concept had never even really occurred to me. I just automatically assumed that my sort of naturally anti-authoritative personality is just the status quo. And that like you might make me do something or I might agree to do something reluctantly because I want the end result. But like to want to take direction from another person, mm. my parents, and it, that was a foreign concept. I didn't even know that was possible. But when we started to do more of these trips, I like caught the bug and I spent a good chunk of my life going to Mexico uh, and other places multiple times a year for short periods of time. And the program that we had I, is focused, it's focused on um, finding local partners who have a plan and vision for their own community and then serving them. It's based on service. It's not, and, and that, that, that is very, very different than um, you looking at your own resources here in the United States and saying, we want to do X, Y, and Z for this community. Right. That's, that's not a, that's not a uh, ministry uh, philosophy that I would endorse for cross-cultural ministry. Um, along the way, I wanted to keep on participating in these trips and developing relationships with the people that I met. And I made a number of lifelong friends in Ciudad Juarez and in Mexico City and other places. Um, and I could see the direct connection between my willingness to take, to give up my rights to just do whatever I wanted to do and trust my leader to direct me and then them to give up their rights to have like a program and to like mm. set the goals for success and follow the, follow the leadership of like, let's say a local Mexican pastor or pastoral team. Um, I saw how all of that worked together. And so that was, um, that was a big turning point for me. I felt like I owned my, my faith more at that point. Um, I could see that, it, it, it was it was more than just like a thing that I do for like I don't know entertainment or to like recharge my batteries or whatever right like it's um, I always believed in the message of Jesus and um, the message of redemption the idea of um, needing grace and needing an intercessor always made a lot of sense to me uh, like I've at no time in my life have I like been able to fool myself into thinking that I'm like a good person, right? Mm. Like I've, I've not been burdened with that, right? Um, 
what should be a natural reaction to that is that in our limited capacity as people with God's help, we do that for other people as well. And so, um, uh, sort of like getting my toe in that pool, like made a big difference. That was happening while all of this other stuff was happening. Right. right? Um, while I'm doing a lot of, a lot of things I probably shouldn't have been doing. Uh, I'm in, you know, a decent amount of emotional distress through the year. But I mean, it did sort of like start to ground me. By the mm. time I graduated from high school, like I had a good set of friends. I wasn't like kind of on the edge in the way that I had been earlier on. Um, it was a good decision to go back, even though I had a remarkably terrible attitude about it. Um, and I mean, I graduated in the bottom half of my class. Like I barely graduated. Um, I had to, usually when you're a senior, you can like cut a lot of periods out of the day. I had to do a full load cause I had like lost a lot of, <laughs> a lot of time when I was just laying around in my underwear, listening to <laughs> Z rock. <laughs> um, but you know, it all worked out. It all worked out in the end. You know, I took my, uh, I took my 2.3 or 2.46 GPA or whatever. And, um, I was able, it was enough to get into the university of New Mexico Let's and go. it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, I, I really sort of like, I felt like when I, when I got to the university, I was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is amazing. It is amazing. It's so amazing. We're not going to rush it. We're going to put a bookmark in the Dan Bellum experience right about there. And we'll resume then with part two in our next episode. So stay tuned for that. Stay warm, stay cozy, stay safe out there. I know it's been a pretty crazy weather-wise experience over this Christmas break for many of our, our friends out there. Um, so I hope everyone's well. Hope everyone's hanging in there. And I hope everyone is having a happy new year. 2023. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Godspeed, my fellow travelers. <laughs>